You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. I love roller coasters. I, I love big, scary things. It's kind of kind of strange because I'm also afraid of heights, but that's probably why I love it. Uh, so we got to go to every single park, and the night before we would go to the park, I would kind of do my homework and look at all the, here's where we're going to go, and here's the places, and here's our strategy, and all that, because I hate lines as well. Uh, So the night before we're going to Epcot, I start doing my research. Okay, what rides do we really want to ride? How are we going to do it? When are we going to go there? What are all the things that that we're going to be able to do while we're there? And so I came across this one ride, Mission Space. Raise your hand if you've ridden Mission Space in the room. Fantastic. Four of us. Praise the Lord for y'all. So, uh, <laughs> so Mission Space, if, in case I guess most of you don't know anything about it, it is basically a, um, a reenactment or it's supposed to be as if you are a NASA astronaut and you are taking off and going on a trip to uh, Mars, I think it is. And there's two lines that you can get in, right? You can get in the orange line, which is the intense line, or you can get in the green line. So I've got my seven and my four-year-old, and if you know me, we're definitely going to the orange line. There's no doubt. Like, I'm going to talk, I mean, I'm going to say whatever I got to say. I've never been on the ride, but hey, guys, it's not too bad. Let's, let's go to the orange. It's going to be fine. So, so we get to the ride. We see green, orange, right around orange. There's these signs that basically say, like, hey, this ride's intense. If you don't like spinning, if you don't like this, that, and the other, go to the green line. And I'm like, if you don't like spinning, you don't like this, that, and the other, why are you at an amusement park? But anyway, we're going to the orange. That's what we're going to do. So we push forward. We, we get in line, and uh, it feels like every 50 feet or so, there's like another sign that says, hey, this ride's intense. Are you sure you want to be here? And like, by the fourth or fifth one, I'm going, do, do I want to be here? Like, I've, this is like my fourth or fifth day at Disney, and I haven't seen any other ride have these signs, right? Like no other ride. And, and so Disney is really creative in the way that they make you uh, think that your, your line is getting shorter. What they do is they have you wait in a line, and then you go from one waiting chamber to another waiting chamber where there's some little fancy video, and then there's another waiting chamber where there's another fancy video. Well, all of these chambers that they make you wait in, there is another, not only a sign, but a video at this point telling you, hey, if you get motion sick, maybe this isn't the ride for you. And by this point, I am like, oh my gosh, we are going to die on this ride. And then the ride stops. It has an uh, you know, it has a moment where like, hey, this ride's been delayed. And you're going, that's because somebody wanted a refund on their lunch, right? That's what happened right there. And so now I'm sitting there with my two kids and my dad. I'm like, I don't know if we can do this. And it comes to the point where it's like, you got to step forward and get on the ride. So we step forward, we get on the ride, and it's intense. <laughs> like, it's, there's a moment, my, my son, it basically makes you, um, I guess, reenact kind of the G-forces that it would... I guess, be taken off from planet Earth, going to Mars. And my son goes, Dad, why is my face so heavy? <laughs> like, and, and we get done with the ride, and, and nobody on my ride at least got a refund for the lunch. We, we moved forward, and it was really good. But having gone through that experience, it, it made me think about this idea that, you know, there's just some things in life that somebody can describe to you, somebody can explain something to you, but it doesn't do it justice until you experience it, right? 
like, I, everyone said on this ride, it's intense, it's crazy, it's spinning. I didn't feel one ounce of spinning. And, and I, I, you know, don't like spinning specifically. But there are other moments in your life that you can probably think back where someone's told you something and you're like, okay, okay. And then you go to experience it and you're, the, the, the message that you received from them wasn't quite the full experience, right? It, wasn't, it didn't do it justice. Kind of like when we take a group of missionaries to, to Guatemala. We can explain to you uh, how it is in the country. We can explain to you about building a house and working with your hands and helping someone you know, get, give them their first home that they've ever owned. But until you see their face, until you experience climbing a volcano and eating food that is not the greatest, you have no idea what it's like to go to Guatemala. I, I can tell you uh, a couple of weeks ago, a group of us got to go to, to the Link Baptist Church and we got to partner with this church in prayer. And then a few of us, I think, even did a trash cleanup a few weeks ago. And this is the church that we're going to go to next week and we're going to help love on the Bellevue community. I can tell you about the great experience that we had and the, the ministry that the church is doing. But until you walk those streets and you hear the stories of the people and you see the heart and the passion that they have for the community of Bellevue, there's just really nothing that completes that until you fully experience it. And so this morning, I want us to discuss how people experience us. How, how does the world around us, via screens, experience Christian people? How does the world around us experience us, Christians, via a screen? Maybe you can make that more personal. How does your world experience you, know you, interact with you, only through screens. This can, this can be kind of tricky, right? Because it, it can come down to, to the way that we engage with people on social media or lack thereof. Maybe it's a text or an email to a boss, a coworker, an employee that you're disgruntled. The way that you communicate in that screen in that moment will show a lot of things. Right? The, the, uh, or what about this? The, the kind of data mining of content uh, that the big corporations do. Did you know this, right? They, they kind of filter down and they put people in subcategories to say, hey, Christians, generally speaking, will watch this type of content or consume this type of content. So there's a lot of different ways that the world can experience us. But I, I want us to, to see a truth that God is going to reveal to us through John and his letters that the way people experience us matters. And that experience, at least according to the Bible, will be directly affected by the way that you experience God. The way that you experience God, the way you enter into this relationship with Him, will change and be a reflection of how you, experience, or how you relate to and how others experience you. So we're going to dive in as Jonathan read for us earlier, verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declares that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, maybe when you read this, you had a question similar to me. I, I have this question. So, what does that mean for the person or the people who don't believe in God? Or, or the ones who maybe believe in a, in a different God, a, a little G God? 
Maybe, maybe you've said, you know, like I, I know people who don't know God. Like they don't, they don't trust in Jesus. They don't believe in God. But somehow, I would say, they seem more loving than myself. So how, how, how can we rectify what, what God is saying through John in this text that like, by asking, like, can non-Christians love? And if they can, what does this do for biblical accuracy? Like, how can we trust this word if God is telling us that it's really people who know God and are born of God that love, and if you don't know God and you're not born of Him, then you don't love? Well, I think the first thing we need to do to be able to answer this question is we need to see how God defines love. We need to understand what the definition of love is from God. God, through John's writing, defines love as believing in Jesus and loving one another. You can see this by a chapter earlier, 1 John chapter 3. John's kind of unpacking what it means to love God. And what he says is God has given us these commands. And if you love Him and then love others, you will be then keeping His commands. And you will then have true love. 1 John 3.23 unpacks that truth that when you keep His commands, you love Him. And His commands are to love Him and love others. So by God's own words, through John, true biblical love is both actively loving other people and believing in Jesus. So when we make this statement of like, I don't know how people who don't know God actually love what we're, what we're missing in that statement is they don't actually love the way that God is talking about love. What, what we see is kind of this broken image of love. How do we get there? How does that make sense? Okay, so let's go back to the creation. When God makes mankind, He makes all people what? Image bearers. Right? They're image bearers. If you go back to the very beginning, when God makes humanity. He said, let us make man in our image. So from the very beginning, we have the image of God on us. Now, when sin comes into the world, that image is fractured, but there are still pieces of God's image in our life. There's also the concept, we've talked about it time and time again, this idea of common grace. Well, in Colossians, you can see that the writer says that God holds all things together. And so through His grace, His sovereignty, His love, what is happening in the world is that people who are far from God, number one, are image bearers. They're fractured, but they still are image bearers. They have value. This is why we believe in things like pro-life, and this is why we believe in people, and this is why we don't just say, ah, who cares about the hunger, the, the broken people in this world? Because all people are made in the image of God, and so they have value. This is where that comes from. Now the image is broken, so there's not always this perfect unity and representation of love, but what comes into play is God says, you know what? This world, because of sin, would be in utter chaos without me. Like there's, there's this deistic belief. There's some, some people believe that this, this being, God, creates everything like, the, like a clock and then kind of s sets it and, and walks away. 
Well, here's the problem with that. When you talk about sin and things that are broke, if you let something broken operate for long, how, how long will that thing continue to operate? It won't. Eventually, it will completely and totally break down. But when God sees the world, He creates it perfectly. Sin comes in. And He comes in and says, I know that sin would completely fracture and break everything, but I'm going to hold it together. I'm going to make it function. So when we go, how, how can we ever see love from people who don't believe in Jesus? I would say first and foremost, we're only seeing a, a glimpse of the love that God's talking about. Just, just, a, just a little shimmer. But we're also forgetting that God holds all things together. So when we say that people are dead in their sins and that they're no good, they and you and I are no good. But again, it goes back to the gospel, in Christ there is good. And even if you don't believe in Christ, here's where he is just mind-blowingly amazing. He is still good and he holds all things together. And so through this text, what he is saying is that true love is when people own and understand to love God and love people. Okay, so we talked about the non-Christians. What about the Christian who just really stinks at loving? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know that person. They've gone to church their entire life, and they're like a Scrooge, but 12 months a year, right? Not just Christmas. Like, nobody ever describes them as loving. The pastor gets up on the day of their funeral and is like, I have no words. Like, this is that person. You know what I'm saying? You know that person. Maybe you are that person. I, I don't know. But there's somebody in your life that you go, man, this person has no love at all. But they say they believe in Jesus. How, how, does, how does this, when, when God says, man, if you love God and love people, you are mine. And, and if you do love God, then you will love people. How does this, this Christian have such hate in their heart. How can they have such a lack of love? Well, I think the obvious, number one, is maybe they aren't Christians. Ooh, I know. That's not for you to judge. It's not for me to judge either. But here's the reality. If there's no fruit, there's probably no root. That's just kind of how that works. I don't know if you farmers out there, but, you know, it's just, there's that. So God says there'll be fruit if we stay in Him. And if there is no fruit... May not be a tree there. So, uh, next thing. Maybe they're not mature, right? You don't know their story. How long have they been walking with God? How, how, how long have they been kind of maturing? But maybe they were just really bad before, right? You, you just thought they didn't love people now. What were they like before? That's another thing to give grace. Or, or, or the third one, how about this? Maybe they're just going through a rough season. How long have you known this person that supposedly doesn't love well? Six months, a year, ten years, maybe it's not just a season. But maybe it's just a short time. Maybe it's a, an employee. Maybe it's somebody else in your life. You're going, man, this person just shows no love, and they say they love Jesus. But they got no love for anybody else. What's their home life like? I mean, are they, are they just going through the proverbial hell every single day? And so for them, it's just all the focus is keeping it together. I guess what I'm saying is when we see Christians who aren't good at love, maybe we just ask the question of maybe how we can help them be better. Instead of just going, maybe they're just not Christians. Maybe they got something in their life that is a stumbling block and they're struggling and they're not, they're not, they're not knowing how to move forward. So, in his first verse, he says that real love 
is believing in Jesus and loving one another. It's not a worldly love. It's not the love that we see on ABC and CBS and NBC. You know, it's a whole other kind of love. It's, it's a real thing, as we sing about. Let's continue on, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So basically what he says there is the contrast. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When these words that John just uttered through the Holy Spirit become more like the oxygen in the air that we breathe, rather than just words on a page, in that moment, that is when we know love. Like, do we understand what he is saying in this moment is that God is the ultimate picture of love and the gospel is the power of our ability to experience his love. Like when we get this picture that the Son came to be the propitiation, the payment, the atonement, the sacrifice for the thing that you could never pay. You had a debt. You had a guilt hanging over you. And there was nothing that you could do about it. Not a thing. You were damned. And yet, Jesus... The triune God, like the Son, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Son left His throne, came down in the form of the fallen, of His creation, lived a perfect life, and then became the sacrifice so that you could receive abundance and life everlasting and glory. When that picture is seared on our hearts and in our minds and eventually comes off of our tongues. That is the beginning experience of the power of God. And what John says is when we get that, then experience for others will come. Continue. Verse 11. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's where it gets tricky. We'll unpack it. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this, meaning the love, we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Because we've experienced, is what he's saying. God is love. And whoever abides in that love also abides in God. And God abides in him. I know there's a lot of abiding going on. Stay with me. By this is love perfected with us. It's another tricky one. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. So, let's unpack the first thing. He says that no one has ever seen God. 
Now, what he's talking about here is the fullness of God. The, the, think think, think the, the full trinity of God. Father, Son, Spirit, like the full glory and holy and weightiness of God. Because we know that people have seen Jesus. Colossians 1.15 declares that He is the image of the invisible God. And we have all the texts in the, in the Gospel saying that Jesus walked this earth. So we have seen in part God, but maybe not in full. Go, go, go back to your, your time in, in Exodus. What happens with Moses? Moses hides his face from seeing the fullness of God. And later in that same text, and I think it's chapter 33, God looks at Moses and says, I can't reveal my full self to you because you need to live. And if I revealed my full self to you, you would no longer live. Isaiah 6 talks about the, the, the glory and the beauty of God and in a way that mortals could never fully lay their eyes on Him. Moses was a gl- allowed a glimpse of God, but not the fullness of God. So what John is saying in this text when he says that no one has ever seen God, but if we abide in Him, then He in us, then it will be perfected. What he is saying is that through our love. Remember, our belief in Jesus and loving one another, if you're taking notes, this is one of those lines. Through our love, people can see God. The way that we believe, when we believe in Jesus and when we love one another, people can see God. That's weighty, in my opinion. That's, that, that would feel like a, a massive responsibility. But think, think about the impact this can have on your family, your friends, your coworkers, people in your life, your enemy. When you have full faith and confidence in Jesus, and then you love others, people see God. And here's where it gets beautiful for me, and hopefully for you. There is nothing that you do to really make that happen. God does it all. Say, I think we we come into this room and we go to Bible studies and we go to our quiet time and what we do, I'm a fixer, right? If you come to me with a problem, generally speaking, I'm not listening to listen to you. I'm listening to you give you a solution. My wife loves that about me. But what we do is we, we, we take that fixing mentality and we take it to God. We go, all right, God, I know my life needs to be better in this area. How can I fix it? All right, I know my relationship with my kids need to be better. How can I fix it? My relationship with my spouse needs to be better. How can I fix it? I need to make more money so that I can have more money in my household. My whole family can be happy. How can I fix it? I want to help the broken and the hurting and the people in poverty around the world. How can I fix it? And what God is saying is you can't, but I can. So trust and rest in me. Not your power, not your authority, not your will. Your steps are faithful, and my steps are fruitful. And here, here's, let me break this down. See, we tend to think that our faith is ours. That's what you, you probably think that, right? Like, it's your faith. It's, it's your belief. Scripture says otherwise. Scripture says that your faith, your belief, is, is a gift from God. Did you earn gifts? 
No, it's Christmas time, right? When somebody gives you a gift, did you earn it? Now, you might feel guilty. You're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to give me a gift. Let me go get you another one. But you didn't do anything to get the first one, did you? It's a gift. Paul lays this out in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through your faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. You didn't earn it. And you didn't start the conversation with God to say yes. He starts the conversation. He says, here's the gift. Do you want it? And then we respond. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, this, this ruler, this Pharisee equal rich guy. He comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want really anybody to see him. And he goes, hey, man, you, you do a lot of really great things. You, 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 kinda, you must be either a prophet or somebody like, you're something special. And Jesus kind of says these cute little soliloquies and Nicodemus is like, baking powder? What what did you say? I don't understand. Like, I've got to be born again. How can I crawl back into my mom's womb? Is what Nicodemus says back to Jesus. And Jesus replies to him, and he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from, or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You're not going to understand your faith and how it started, when that conversation happened. People, can, people have been debating for 2,000 years, probably more. Uh, free will, election, like, who, how did all this thing start? Like, how am I saved? Did God save me, or did I say yes to Him? Are there these chosen frozen, or are these people who never hear about God? Are they going to hell? Like, there's all these questions, and we, we can sit around a campfire, and we can, you know, think we know a lot of these answers, and here's the reality. You don't, and I don't know all of the answers. But God does. And regardless, what He tells us over and over and over again is that your faith is from me. That same book in Ephesians, he says, you were dead in your trespasses. How many dead people do anything? You seen any? I, they're, they're pretty lifeless, in my opinion. They just kind of sit there. Dead folks don't do anything. And so when he says you were dead, your faith's not yours. God says, have faith. And you say, yes. You say, No. But the, re- the reality is, your faith is His. Gift from Him to you. Dead things don't all of a sudden come to life. There has to be something that breathes life. God makes Adam from the earth, right? And then what happens? Adam's just a body. What does it say he did? He breathed life into him. That's what happens with us in faith. God breathes life into us. So when we're thinking about how can we be this representation of true love in the world, the first step of being true love is, loving, is believing in God. Well, you didn't really do that either. God did it for you. It was a gift. The second step is you need to love one another. And basically what he's saying here is, I'm going to do that for you too. So I gave you faith, and then I'm going to allow you to live spirit-filled. So Think back to the gospel. I presented it just a moment ago. So if you have accepted Jesus as the propitiation, meaning the payment, the the work on your behalf that you couldn't pay, your works didn't save you, right? 
You could try all, all that you wanted to, but your works didn't do the deal. Jesus' works did the deal. Right? We tracking? Are y'all asleep or is it, too, is it too cold in here? We make it hotter. Wake up that way. Your works are not going to solve anything. Your works can be done. But without Jesus, without the Spirit inside of you, they are fruitless. Jesus is fruitful. So we need the Spirit moving through us. John says this, or he, he actually quotes Jesus in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, be, may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. You can't do it unless it abides in the vine, says. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do good things. You can do some things. He says you can do nothing. Nothing. So your faith is a gift. And then these works, if you want to see fruit in them, they come from Him. And the fruit that we bear reveals God. Jesus in His priestly prayer in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's praying to God. He knows what's about to come. The sacrifice is coming. He, he's going to be that. And He says, look, if you will be in me, God, I will be in them, and they will then be in us. In all of that process, you will receive the glory. I will receive the glory and they will receive the glory. God brings us in on this, what the, what the rabbis would a lot, all, a lot of times in John 17 call the dance. It's this moment where the Father is kind of pointing to the Son and saying, look at what He did. And the Son is pointing to the Spirit. And, this, and Jesus is saying, look what the Spirit it did, did. And then when you come to faith in Christ, you know what the Spirit's doing? He's pointing at you saying, look what they're doing. And then we point back to the Father, and it's this beautiful dance where we go, look at the glory of God, not for us, but for Him. And we've been brought into this grand plan. He saved us, He sent us, and then through the power of His Spirit, He has empowered us. So what John is trying to get us to see is that when we've experienced God, meaning we've, we've put our faith in Him, and that we begin to love others through the power of His Spirit, He uses us so that others can experience Him as well. So, so how do we move forward with this? I'm not going to read the rest of the passage. You're welcome to do it later. It says there's no fear in love. We, we, we sang about that just before I came up here. So how do we move forward? How, how are we going to allow people to experience Christ in our sermon series through the use of screens. Well, before I get to the six ways of how we're going to do it, I want to talk about a couple ways that we don't do it well. I want to say, here's some ways that we don't allow others to experience Christ through our use of screens. Let's think about social media. When somebody posts something that is absurd, that is ridiculous, that is outlandish, 
How often do we give them grace? And, I, and I'm not necessarily just saying in your comments, because I think most of us have gotten smart enough, wise enough to go, maybe I shouldn't call this guy an idiot on public Facebook, right? Or whatever. But what's your thought process? What's your heart saying when, when that comes across your feed, your TikTok, your whatever? When you see somebody saying something that you feel is just absolute and total insanity, what's your heart saying? Do you judge from afar? What about this? When, when you're on social media, you have the app and you just kind of, you do this number, right? You, you pull out your phone and you're just swiping, you're swiping, you're swiping, uh, and you're silent. You never, you never post. You really like, you really comment. And, and you would say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just consuming. I'm just you know, t taking it in. I'm just... But there are probably things that you believe in, you support. You got the app. What, why do you have it? Right? You're silent. As there are others maybe on there that are using it as a tool to build, I don't know, brand awareness for helping poor people. Brand awareness for getting the gospel out. And you remain silent. What about entertainment? What about this? You know, 64% of Americans define themselves as Christians. 64%. I wonder if that 64% stopped viewing content that the majority of us would say is not good content for Christians. What would happen to the market? Let's get a little deeper. Pornography, 70%, 70% of Christian men admit to watching pornography once a month. 70% of men that are self-proclaimed Christ followers admit, own, that they watch pornography once a month. 87% of Christian women admit that they watch pornography. Doesn't necessarily give a regularity to it, but they have watched. They consume this thing. Every time someone watches porn, they are supporting an industry that belittles women and men, objectifying them to their, their looks, and they define their total sense of value by their physical features. Not to mention, you're ignoring God's gift of sex and marriage by perverting it to a mere climax, to a moment. Oh, and you're ruining your own sex life because he or she will never be enough. There will always need to be someone else, something else. There will always need to, it, it's just like drugs, it's just like that hit. You've got to get it. 70% of Christian men, once a month. The world sees us. Men, women, 87% of you have viewed it. We're better than that. God has called us to life and to love 
others. And when we love others, we don't reduce them to just a moment. We don't reduce them to their physical characteristics. We don't reduce them to just looking good or performing this great action. We look at them as image bearers of God and say, Jesus died for you. And we've got all these urges in our bodies. We go, oh, I just got, I got needs. And God's saying, yeah, me too. Love me. Serve me. And I'll fulfill every need and every desire and every want you could ever have. Find hope and an abundance and love in me. Don't find it in a screen. Don't find it in somebody you don't even know. Don't find it in a like, a comment, or a share. Because somebody shared your stuff, you think you're amazing. I can monetize this on, on YouTube. I can do this. I can do that. God's called us for more. Let me lean into the, the final six, and then I'll land the point. I want to give you six ways that we can allow others. We, we can show the love of God to others. By using our screens. The first one. Create healthy boundaries with screens. We spoke last week about the, the, the corrosive nature and the danger of screens. Make sure that you are guarding your heart and guarding your loved ones. So how do we make sure that people experience the love of God? By number one, first making sure that we're experiencing the love of God and putting healthy boundaries on ourselves with screens. Uh, one of the things in, in that book, Tech Wise Family, Andy Crouch said is our screens go to bed before us and we wake before them. Right? There's danger in letting your screen dictate your life. Right before you're going to bed, you just pull out that screen and you're just scrolling, 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 and then we go, oh, I can't sleep. I had bad dreams. I had this, that, and the other. Well, I mean, you were staring at this thing all up in two right the moment before you went to sleep. Put, put parameters on it. Put guidelines on your own life. Engage on social media with intentionality. So a lot of us have it. Some of us are silent streamers, and we just go through the world, and we just look at all the content. Maybe engage. Like, see it as an opportunity and a tool to love someone else. It's not your responsibility how they receive that love. It is your responsibility to love them. So maybe comment. You know, so-and-so got into this school. Congratulations. Don't just hit like. Take a moment. Congratulations. I've been praying for you to get into a college that you like. So-and-so got this new job. Congratulations. I'm so excited for you. I got a new puppy. That's amazing. I, I'm a cat person, right? Engage with them. Show, show them some love. Do not debate, argue, slander, or look to teach someone. That is not the place. In case you haven't learned, I'm, I'm here. This is a public service announcement. No one is going to learn anything from your comments on social media. Okay? You might be brilliant. You probably are. And your point is probably right. They don't care when you comment on their social media about it. Like, they just don't. It's not the place. It's not the time. Don't do it. Number three, if you watch a movie or show, find a way to have a worldview conversation. 
Now this, one, this one's abstract, but I, I love it. We, we did it in seminary. I have a few friends that we, we do it via a Marco Polo app together a lot. We'll go watch a movie. I actually do it with my son when we watch Star Wars. And I will find a way to have a conversation about whatever we watched and go, How, what does this teach me about the world? What does this teach me about God? What's their point of view? What's the biblical point of view in this moment? And we've taken our students in the student ministry to do the same thing. This is taking a screen content where we just want to sit back and veg out, and now it's actively going, what does this mean? Because let me tell you something, the director, the producer, the executive producer, all those actors, if they sit down and do a documentary, they're going to tell you what it means. So if you think that they're just putting out content to make money, I mean, they do want to make money, but every single one of them has a mission behind it, right? You ever, you ever watch, like, I think Harry Potter came out with this, like, HBO special, and every single one of them will tell you, oh, yeah, this one meant this, and this one meant that, and this thing does this, and this thing that, and we're just going, uh, right? And here's the reality. We're not actually just going, uh, we're receiving the content. So wrestle back with it. Number four, send an encouraging text or email to people in your life. You want to show somebody the love of God? Care about them and reach out. Think about the number of people that you, you just get so busy, you want to do this, you want to do that. Maybe have, like on your prayer list, maybe, maybe put the text list next to it. Because you're going to pray for them, and then you're going to send them a text or an email, and you're going to say, hey, I've been praying for you, I've been thinking about this, I've been thinking about that. Engage with them. Show them that you care. Number five, these are ways that we can show love. Be willing to delete. Be willing to delete. I would start with your history. People, I don't know if you, I don't do this, but people do this. I guess we do this when we hire somebody. People are going to scroll your page. It's weird. It feels, I feel like you're looking through my closet at that point, but people do it, right? They're going to go to your page, whatever page you have, and they're going to scroll to see the last 5,000 things that you've posted. Now, some people will stop at 10, but there's other folks who are going to go to 5,000. They're going to do it. I don't, you may be one of them. You may be sitting there going like, really, people do that? And that's what they do, right? They scroll through, and I'm not just saying after you like run for political office. I'm just saying like you, normal you, for some reason, somebody's going to look through your dirty laundry, James, on Facebook. Like, it's going to happen. And what I'm telling you to do is maybe if God moves in your heart and goes, you know, these screens can, can be a way that I show the love of God to people. Maybe you need to go back and delete something off your social media. Maybe you're going to sit here and say, oh, that's just a part of my journey. Does the person who scrolled see that journey? Is it, is it explicitly clear, or is it just, does it need instructions? Because I would say if, if, if it needed a, a clause or instruction, maybe it wasn't clear enough, and that can lead somebody down the wrong path. Because as a Christ follower, which is the lens they're going to be looking at you at, does that edify and point to the gospel? Be willing to delete. Maybe it's a comment that you had. Maybe you've got to unlike something. Maybe it's a group that you follow. There are people that follow all sorts of groups, and maybe you did it 10 years ago, but, and you believed that way, but now you're going, I don't, I don't believe that way. That's, that's not how I feel. God's done something in my life. You know, quit following the group. Like literally, hit unfollow. It's a button. We'll show you how. Number six, last one. Be thoughtful about your posts and your time. 
So the time one goes back to number one uh, of, of creating healthy boundaries. But I think you should also be creating thoughtful posts. Every reel you see, no one, every reel you see, not everyone else in the world needs to see it, right? Like, you're not the most important person in the universe. Shocker, right? But we share and share and share and share and share. And here's what I'm saying. I'm trying to get you to see that your social media is a platform to engage people for the love of God. And maybe it's, I want to share this, you know, uh, John Garrett, you coach football. You're going to share the snot out of Tattnall football stuff. You're going to share Tattnall Square Academy stuff and praise the Lord for it, right? When you share something that doesn't align with Tattnall's views, you probably wouldn't, right? Because that might get you fired. But let's say say you didn't work there. When you share that, you know what other people are going to go? This is what Tattnall people believe in. This is what Tattnall people align themselves with. And if you're silent, and all you ever do is Tattnall, people are going to ignore you. Not Tattnall, you know what I mean. All you ever do is Piedmont. All you ever do is, I don't know, rosaries, thumbnails. I, I don't know. Whatever it is, that's all you ever do. You're limiting the voice. So I'm not telling you to go out and get addicted to social media. I'm saying most of you probably use it in some way, shape, or form. So use it wisely. Don't just share to be sharing. Be intentional about what you post because people are watching. And if we want to see more people come to know Jesus, both in our actions in the physical world, I can't believe I'm preaching a sermon about this, but in the virtual world, we need to represent Jesus well because you believe in Jesus. As the band comes up, I just want to pray over us. I know that there are some in this room that are struggling with addiction to screens and, and other things. And, and maybe you see that as your way to veg out and to, uh, I, I don't know, hide. I, I, I want to encourage you that you have a tool in your hand. And, and maybe if it is a vice for you, maybe you do need to have moments where you put it down. And, and about a week, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we as a church are going to fast from screens for 24 hours. I want you to fast from screens with me for 24 hours. And you go, I don't know if I can. I got a seven and a four-year-old. Trust me, I don't want to do this. I want to put a screen in front of them and say, chill. But you know what's best for them? Not having a dependence on screens. We need to get our life in order with screens. We need to understand that this Word has told us to love other people. And we do that by loving Him and then letting Him move through us. And that is both for this physical world when you walk out of these doors and you go to the restaurant, but it is also in your social media, in the entertainment you consume. And elsewhere, whatever screen you use to engage with people that people can see, that is a tool to show people the love of God. Let's do it. Let's be a church that takes control of the potential vices and use this tool that in and of itself is not evil. 
but use this tool to reach people for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we, we come to this place of talking about screens because it, it, it's such an active part in our life. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room or listening at a later point that is struggling uh, with screens, God, I, I, I just pray that you'll, you'll allow them to release this addiction or the bondage that has them so crippled. God, I pray the blood of Jesus over them, that you have set them free. I, I, I pray that we will use this tool that you have given us as just another means to the ultimate end of glorifying you and enjoying you forever. That we'll be gospel proclaimers both online and in the real world. Lord, if we're struggling, release it from us. And all this can be done because you are worthy. You paid the toll. You paid and made the sacrifice for us to have freedom in your name. And so, God, we walk in the gift of faith that you have given us. And we function through your Spirit in love because you are good and you are God. Help us to be a church, a people that love you, love others, and invest in your kingdom. And God's people said,